Welcome to, I guess, episode 7.75. Yeah, 7.5. Yeah. 7B. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 7B. There we go. 7 beta. Um, last time we talked about, uh, we, we filled out the stat sheets for my NPCs, mm-hmm. which is extremely helpful because now I feel like, oh, I know them. Mm-hmm, they're they're right. my buddies now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and this time we're going to build a map uh, for Turtle Island. Um, not really a specific a dungeon map, as right. it were, but um, a general layout of the area uh, and pro- probably also size, I would guess. Yeah, this is sort of like a terrain map. It's going to give us a general idea of what's uh, on Turtle Mountain, what are points of interest that mm-hmm. players might run into. And we also have reader questions for the very first time, which mm-hmm. I'm super, super excited about. Uh, very exciting people. Are yes. we? Yeah. Yeah. we have people who listen to the show and send us questions. <laughs> <laughs> want to ask us things. Really, we've been pretty sure it's just the three of us sitting in my living room for the last eight episodes. Um, Podcasting I, until it goes fast, blank darkness. Yeah, and, um, and just enjoying listening to ourselves on the microphones and headsets. Uh, but it turns out that there's a whole wide world out there and that a tiny, tiny fraction of it listens yes, to us. Yes, so, and we love it. Yeah, we really uh, do. And if any of you... But if we were to have them all in this house, it'd be there'd be like not a whole lot of room to move. Yeah, I mean, we'd have to get a six-pack and there would only be like one beer left yeah. over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you guys want to write in, uh, I mean, please feel free. Uh, you can tweet us at CPDMcast uh, or on our Reddit or on our website, which we will all list at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get started. But for now, yeah, let's get started. Let's dive right in. Oh, so, yeah. And we still have to roll for a monster right, for, a for monster next week, time. For next week. So yeah, we, and- we won't. This is a, a monster of the a weekless monster of the week. A monsterless. There we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a monsterless sans, monster of the week. Sans monster episode. Sorry. Yeah. Um, we're monster anemic. <laughs> this week, choose your own monster. Whoa. It's the same. Be episode. the monster no you want to see here. in the world. Hmm? Did did I tell you guys that uh Griffin McElroy has some new bit where he does a monster of the week? She's biting our style. <laughs> I know. Clearly, we're trendsetters Clearly with our like dozens yeah. of listeners. Um, it's pacing back and forth. What are they doing in the carpet? <laughs> uh, rubbing his beard and and and, and furrowing his brow. Um, Alexei, tell me why a map like a terrain, a larger terrain map, uh, when and where it could be useful. I mean. I think that it's really a matter of um, kind of like giving your players a sense of the scope of the world. Um, As soon as you give your players a map, they have this immediate connection to, okay, here's where we are. Here are the things that we might explore. Mm -hmm. Um, It's sort of, it does a little bit of the work of not only setting up the world, but also setting up kind of players' expectations. Like, like it gives them a chance to choose mm-hmm. maybe where they might want to explore. So they would be seeing the map. You think you would show them the map before the campaign begins. I mean, if it's if it's if they are going into a place that is unknown 
place that has been mapped before, then yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's conceivable or even oh, likely that they could have an in-game map. However, mm -hmm. in this world, mm -hmm. they don't know that Turtle Mountain is a turtle yet. Right. They just think it's a mountain. Right. But so, it's a pretty well-traveled mountain. That's right? true. Yeah, that's true. So um, chances are that like someone's bothered to make a map out of it. That's a good point. Okay. Because um, I sort of envisioned it, and this is something now that I'm happy to sort of push aside, but I sort of envisioned it like one of those games that, of which none of which I can remember the name, um, where uh, you move your character around and it fills in the darkness. So, so the... Uh, the game design term that you're looking for is called fog of war, right? Oh. That uh, as you move, you open up, yeah. you reveal parts of the map. Okay. Here's the clever, cool, weird thing about the way that you set up your game, though. Tell me. I want to know how I'm cool and clever and weird. The the players could run into, at the very beginning of the game, they could get a map of mm -hmm. Turtle Mountain mm -hmm. as it's known to the people who live in the area. And then... When the turtle awakens and starts to move, you could have a second map of sort of the real Turtle mm -hmm. Mountain. Things that are unearthed, things that are revealed, things mm -hmm. that have thrust themselves up from the ground, which you would know and the players would not. So they would have the like the the basic map and you would have the kind of advanced map. I have I have two things in my mind right now. One, I don't think they would call it Turtle Mountain. I think that they mm -hmm. there would be some word that in this world language means turtle, but everyone has forgotten, maybe. Sure, sure. Um, and then the second thing is, as I sort of see it like uh, an advent calendar map, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. where, like, oh, like you now have removed this tile and this sure. this is now. Um, well, one of the, one of the um, benefits of having a campaign based around a territory that you get to explore is the sort of the sandboxy nature of it. And giving your players a map that they can fill in mm -hmm. is both aspirational and exploratory. It's as uh, it becomes a living document mm -hmm. that they'll refer to and that they'll modify over time. And of course, you use your own completed map, you know, that you have out of sight of the rest of the players. That's right. just, just for you. But getting to have something that they can sort of draw into and create their own map. That's a, that's a, a, a Dungeons and Dragons sweet spot. You want mm -hmm. to, you're, you're any game master would be lucky to get to have in their game. Okay. Yeah. So I have this sort of general idea of, of a layout that I've roughed out. Um, since our last recording, which was absolutely two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that I'm kind of struggling with is what kind of scale I should do. Um, mm -hmm. I should mention that I've got one of these sort of rolly uppy vinyl square. Oh, battle mat. A, yeah, a battle, a battle mat. mat. Battle yeah. mat. Except we called it in Magic the Gathering, and that was just like a big mouth pad. Right. With like, a, like some characters on it. Mm -hmm. Anyways. Um, so traditionally, isn't it that one of the squares is like 10 feet? Five feet, usually. Five feet. Well, I mean, in this case, yeah. uh, I wouldn't call this this map being drawn to, drawn to that scale, mm -hmm. um, seeing that it's, it's an overland map. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, it would actually uh, be uh, preferable if you were to, you know, find a, you can find large sheets of hex paper um, 
hexes, uh, hex maps are. Oh, it's on the other side. Yeah, hex maps are are uh, like really well suited to overland and mm-hmm. for communicating uh, large spaces mm-hmm. um, because they move in every direction. Yeah. And, uh, um, square <laughs> square maps have a weird thing where diagonal movement is m- oh, more right, efficient right. than than uh, orthogonal movement. Yeah, yeah I've, I've played minis a couple times. Right. The diagonal isn't allowed, and it's this whole thing. Um, here's here's the thing though. What we can do is, you know, it, you're right. In traditionally, when you're looking at kind of what we might call like an encounter map, mm-hmm. a square is about five feet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, we can scale this to whatever, however size we want. So mm-hmm. you'd said, I believe that you wanted Turtle Island or Turtle Mountain rather to be about the size of Manhattan, right? Uh, I don't think I had said that, but that makes about sense. I think actually maybe a little smaller because that is huge. That is pretty big. Like Manhattan is gigantic. I'm thinking like, uh, that a hike from, uh, uh, nose to tail as Mm -hmm. it were, Mm -hmm. um, would take the better part of a day, but not a whole day. I mean, it, you know, like it's, it's a pretty steep incline. Uh Like sunrise to sunset maybe. Yeah. Like if you started right at the head, you Mm -hmm. would get to the, uh, turtle bar, which I see being, um, not quite at the apex, but a little bit down from it. Um, you know, in the early afternoon and Mm -hmm. then you'd have an easy, like, you know, in, in time enough for, you know, like sort of like, early late lunch right yeah um and then climbing down the down the the rear would take you another few hours okay um but let's let's zoom out a little bit mm-hmm. um uh so in in abstract from how like what features are on where uh so let's say that's like a like a few miles yeah it sounds yeah. about right yeah uh <clears throat> because you know to you know keeping terrain into consideration right right, right. um but big enough to be impressive, yeah, right? Yeah. And yes, and big enough to be self-supporting if I want to keep this campaign right, going yeah. after the thing. So right. um, let's actually say like 10 miles. 10 miles. Long? 10 miles. Okay, 10 okay. miles. Okay. Um, so when I'm when I'm building this map, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're just kind of looking at this map we have on the wall right now and trying to figure out like what a good square length would be. So the map is 25 squares by 25 squares. Mm -hmm. So 10 miles divided by 25 is. That makes it 12.5 miles, which sounds pretty great to me. Perfect. Excellent. So I'll just say that again. Oh, Oh, let's actually make it uh, each square being 0.5 of a mile. That makes it uh, 12.5 miles. Um, And that is sounds like a lot better math. (laughs) Okay, perfect. So so each square is about half a mile. Okay. Uh, and we have, and the the whole turtle top to bottom is about twelve and a half miles. Yes, exactly. Wow. Um, and then, uh, however wide that is, I don't know, seven, seven or eight miles, seven or eight yeah. miles. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't think that matters so much currently, mm-hmm. because also when the party starts the game, mm-hmm. the the I see the the turtle on its longest side. Uh, being kind of half buried in the mountain. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's not like the the hill goes up, Turtle Mountain goes up, and then comes back down to a perfect valley, and then the next mountain goes up from that. It's mm-hmm. more like barely a dip. Mm-hmm. Like, so many rocks have cascaded down the sure. mountain sure, next yeah. to it. Um, so, as far as uh, orientation, 
in the in the cardinal directions. Um, I'm seeing uh, the uh, turtle, like turtle's head and tail being roughly oriented, uh, sort of north and south. I sure. think I have it as, mm-hmm. um, with the larger mountain range to the east mm-hmm. and the um, the regular approach that people make will, mm-hmm. would be from the west. Yeah, uh-huh. the valleys. Yeah. East to the west. Exactly. Yeah. To um, the east, you get into these sort of higher kind of alpine mountains. Exactly. Okay. So this is sort of the rough idea I have. What What are some like next things that would be important to have going in? Like how fleshed out should I have this? Mm-hmm. What are some good things to have before I even start the campaign? You know, you could maybe start thinking about uh, what what terrain features do you want to have on this turtle? I mean, mm-hmm. do you really do you want it to be just rock? Do you want to have a full mm-hmm. range? Do you want to have a forest? Do you want to have, you know, hills? Mm-hmm. Do you want to have big towering mountains? And maybe mm-hmm. think of the with a with a space that big, mm-hmm. miles across like that. You could maybe just for ease of your own uh creation of it, break it off into into regions, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, start thinking of it in dist- in discrete chunks mm-hmm. because when you're operating with spaces that big, you could jam a really sizable forest on that back somewhere and still have plenty of space left over for a whole ton of other stuff. Mm-hmm. A um, lake. You could have a lake on lake, Colonel Mountain. Yes. Um, oh, that would be, that would, I mean, yeah. I mean, if it, if I wanted to be self sufficient, I absolutely would. Um, yeah. So I, I, I have some ideas on that before I go into them. Would you mind explaining? Uh, I mean, like I know in like a specific battle scenario when you, when you're playing, like, Oh, um, line of sight because of trees yeah, or yeah. uneven terrain. Right. How is there any difference between that and when I'm thinking about this as a DM? Am I only going to think like, well, okay, if I have some forest, I can throw this at the players because of this reason? Or you know? no, I mean, think of it more, just more in terms purely in the kind of stories and mm-hmm. the cool encounters and just what's cool and what you want to see happen. Yeah, think of it in terms of like player experience. Think about where they're going to be going. Because as they explore this thing, you know, they might, the nearest thing might be this, this rocky promontory they climb because there's some harpies or something that are, that are attacking, uh, attacking the inn and they get up there and when they climb up there, they see in the distance up the north side of the shell is a big forest and that forest is like a big tree and it's like, oh wow, that looks kind of cool. Let's try to see if we can make it over there. And that was you. You put that there because you wanted mm-hmm. them to see it and you wanted them to go experience it. Okay. Um, there's, go ahead. There's a little bit of, um, there's actually a great essay uh, that you can find about uh, environmental design and Disneyland. Huh. Like the way that, um, it was a Gamma Sutra article that got turned into a GDC talk at one huh. point. Um, and basically the 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 designer was talking about the fact that you know, Disneyland is really brilliantly constructed physically because the whole park is is built on a on this idea that whenever you get to the end of any sort of road or path, wherever you are, you can immediately see two or three things on the horizon that huh. orient you towards something that you haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so, so cool. You Disneyland see the Matterhorn the or you see... You know, whatever whatever park attractions you can, and those, and it, once you come to the end of a path, the moment that you're asking yourself, "Where should I go next?" There are things on the horizon that that 
pique your interest or pique your curiosity. Mm. And I think, you know, when you're putting Turtle Mountain together, think in those terms. Like, yeah. what are things that you could sprinkle through the world that would draw your players in one mm-hmm. direction or another? Um, no, I hadn't even thought of that. Like, I mean, I keep thinking like, oh, here's like a little area where this kind of battle could happen or mm-hmm. here's where they could take shelter. Um, but I'll tell you, uh, so what I have a thought of is that the tree line ends about two thirds the way up the apex of the side of the turtle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's what looks like really impressive uh, rock formations. Like yeah, right. if anyone's ever been to Joshua tree like that, like just these yeah. really surreal, almost Seussian rock formations mm. that seem like just like natural, but are in fact like the pyramided scales of this mm-hmm. turtle that's uh, been uh-huh. laying sure. here forever. Yeah. Um, like really tall, like the, mm-hmm. like each scale is, uh, you know, a, an extremely, like you wouldn't really want to climb up it unless mm-hmm. you have to. Uh-huh. And they're so weathered and split. They, they're like a little oddly regular, but no more than like mm-hmm. any other sort of like, it would take extensive investigation to realize that these weren't like simply natural rock formations. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely like, Oh, you've seen other regular rock formations. Mm-hmm. Like if anyone's ever been to the, uh, uh, devil's post pile. Yeah. Or the giant's causeway, which are both, right. um, uh, basalt, basalt, yeah. basalt mm-hmm. there, but if that's what happens, yeah. um, it's a particular type of rock that, and geology nerd in here. Um, so yeah, so you've seen more regular things and mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, whatever. Um, the, the rock, quote unquote i'm making little quote fingers mm-hmm. um is definitely sort of it, it seems like sort of shale-esque because you probably mm-hmm. w- wouldn't want to climb it right, really yeah. it's weird you know because it's big it's like layers uh-huh. and there's moss and whatever so anyways um yeah so trees rocks and then on the other side probably only a little bit of trees because it's like going up into the mountains uh-huh. mm-hmm. curiously completely different type of stone up there uh-huh. right yeah um but i don't think people have really it's not there's maybe not a world where there's a lot of academia happening. Okay. Well, you know, that's that's for you to decide. Yeah, exactly. I know. Uh yeah, I guess that's it's my world. For whatever reason, people have not done extensive geological surveys of Turtle Mountain. Mm-hmm. Which whether or not whether or not there's a lot of academia, mm-hmm. I really like the idea that this place in particular mm-hmm. has been totally forgotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean it's I could see it as maybe sort of like one of these sort of like it's not on the way to some treasure ridden land or big trading outpost. It's kind of one of these like roads that needs to exist. There's a, you know, kingdom on the side. You got to get to sometimes, but not not a kingdom where it's like people, you know, it's so wealthy that incites Mm -hmm. wars enough that, Uh you know, there's a good road Um, or trade. Uh, So, yeah, um, I, I see that there's like especially on the edge of the tree line um lots of ruins mm-hmm. um from when in theory uh there was at one point a civilization that knew this was a turtle and stayed with mm-hmm. it for whatever reason yeah that mm-hmm. i haven't uh totally fleshed out yet um and then the turtle bar um which i really do think it should be called turtle bar so maybe i need to <laughs> I, I don't want it I don't want it to be totally obvious. Like here's turtle mountain, here's turtle bar. Surprise. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a turtle, you know, right. um, even though probably a little obvious, almost certainly that the players who play this are going to listen to the podcast at some point. Um, you will be surprised at how much players will not pick up on clues that you think are tremendously <laughs> obvious, yeah. especially if you make, if you make the turtle mountain, if you give it a different name and if the players ask about it, be like, 
you know, yeah, your your ancient languages proficiency or your history proficiency tells you that um, this means this this word means turtle in mm. an, in some ancient yeah. language. And there's like even if you know, like here in the Bay Area, I think there's like four or five different like mountains and hills and islands that people call Turtle Mountain, Turtle right. Hill, yeah, Turtle exactly. Island. Yeah, it's not it's, common. it's not so uncommon. Yeah. So you know. Maybe they'll make the connection. Oh, maybe the turtle bar is called Turtle Bar because it's on this mountain that's actually called Turtle Mountain. Mm. That's weird. Mm. But I think that when the mountain like gets up and moves, I think your players will not be like, well, obviously it's going yeah. to do that. I think they'll be like, oh, yeah. that's why it's called Turtle <laughs> yeah. Mountain. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, maybe maybe there's, you know, there's this funny rock formation that, you know, looks like the oh, head of a turtle. Yeah. Or, you know, oh well, this this place is you know the the bar is called the Turtle Bar because the the local stream has a lot of turtles in it that we use for our our special soup. Right, that's yeah. really delicious. You should try it. It's mm. awesome. Mm. So, what points of interest do you want to put on this map right now? Um, we got the Turtle Bar. Turtle Bar. We got some ruins. Got some ruins. I think there's one ruin in particular that is like an observatory or uh, um mm-hmm. something where it's like well is it an observatory is it an old church i think mm-hmm. that it would first come off as being an old church uh-huh. mm-hmm. um and then a um which well, I th- and think of this building as like sort of setting the tone mm-hmm. for for what's to come mm-hmm. if the first thing they run into is an observatory you know, that really kind of speaks a lot to, you know, what, what lies ahead. Well, I'm seeing it as like a, a high tower, right? So like mm. could be, uh, you know, any sort of lookout point sure. um, or like tower. bell tower or something. And it's really mm. pretty, not like so crumbly that you wouldn't want to go up in it, but uh-huh. doesn't have a lot of discerning things except for maybe like, oh, there's some hooks in the walls here. Mm-hmm. And then uh, some other sort of like straps. And it's like, oh, those turned out to be you know, zip lines or whatever to the head or something. Uh-huh. Hmm. Um, and then I, I do want there to be some component of underground activity that would oh, be sure. like yeah. sort of carved out of the scales. Kind yeah, totally. To, yeah. 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 Um, uh, so cave entrances. Right. Um, I think there's some underneath or adjacent the turtle bar mm-hmm, that are mm-hmm, going to be found mm-hmm. like through a secret door in the cellar yeah. or, um, you know, that maybe this bar kid knows about. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and if its shell is actual, you know, mega scale chitin or, or keratin, mm-hmm. um, you know, there could be fissures or pores at mm-hmm. that scale that might yeah. lead into it. I think maybe like it'd be similar to that. But now that I'm thinking about it, I think that it should be that this turtle actually does exude some kind of like stone. stone. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. yeah. It's a magical creature. It's a magical creature. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I do like the idea. What, you know you could mention to your players as they are exploring mm. that, you know, there are these oddly regular sinkholes mm. across the back <laughs> of Turtle Mountain. Right, right. You know, which again, they won't immediately read as like, oh, those are pores into the shell of this giant turtle mm. because they'll just think like, oh, something's been something's been stamping sinkholes mm-hmm. into this place or something's been burrowing under. Yeah, and it could be like, oh, there's these regular, and they're almost like sort of ventilation slash breathing spots that, you know, collect rainwater for the turtle to absorb. Yeah, or absolutely. Um, cool, and I think those would also give a good place to stick some monsters. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, um, absolutely. Maybe even Heck, like yeah. symbiotic monsters to the, to the turtle. So this is, okay, so this is something that I think is really cool that you have a chance to do, which is, you know, the 
in D&D, there's sort of this like monsters are kind of this accepted fact of the world. Mm -hmm. Like there, there are civilized areas that are free of monsters and then there are all these wilderness places that monsters just sort of hang out in. Mm -hmm. But in your game, you have kind of a, a little bit of a better rationale for why there are monsters on Turtle Mountain because it's a living thing and like there it has like predators it has parasites right sure. so so you as you're thinking about or what, symbiotic sure sure i mean however you know commensal however mm. how, whatever kinds of organisms you you want to come up with as you're looking through the monsters manual you can keep in the back of your head like oh what monsters in the monsters manual are going to feel like yeah. parasitic organisms or are yeah. going to feel like like they have that relationship with the the turtle, you know, and I think that's really cool. I think that gives you a nice sort of thematic um, through line on monsters that your that your your players are going to find, and it means that you get to kind of recast like you know a purple worm or you know something like that. It's like well, it's like it's kind of the the turtle's tapeworm or something like that. Like that mm. was gross, but but we'll, I'm thinking of it more like they're in these sort of pores mm -hmm. which could be you know 20 or 30 feet across sure yeah um that there's something that's a mixture between a barnacle and a an eel or something where it's like yeah oh like like little bab purple worms or something yeah i mean when like exactly mm -hmm. you but know this would be a good opportunity i think you know to dip back into the monster manual and mm -hmm. start thinking mm -hmm. about the ecology of of your mm -hmm. of, of turtle mountain yeah and and when we talk about ecology you know it is you know thinking about parasitic creatures or creatures that are here because they somehow feed off of the living organism, this turtle mountain. But then thinking beyond that of there's also creatures that are here that are maybe leftover constructs or mm -hmm. magically powered servants that were left behind with the previous civilization that mm -hmm. was here mm -hmm. or um, opportunistic creatures who've come to this place because it's far away and removed from everything else and, and it's a nice place to set up their home. And that's what an ecology is. It's, yeah. it's creatures of all different motivations and, and, ba and, and environments and preferences kind of occupy, occupying a similar space, mm -hmm. um, all trying to do their thing, mm. essentially. Yeah. So should we take this opportunity to roll the Wheel of Monsters? I think that's a very good idea. That's right. a lovely idea. Given that this is a monster of the week list week. I don't, I am not, can I roll it? I. You must it, roll it. In spin fact. it. I'm going to go spin the wheel of monsters. And the monster that I have landed upon is the cockatrice. Ooh, <laughs> that's an excellent monster. That's, it's got a, that's classic. It's got a classical pedigree. Okay, so um, I think I've got a pretty good grasp of like what I want it to look like. Mm -hmm. um, I've already got on this map um, some like approach roads and things mm -hmm. like that. And now mm -hmm. that I have an idea of scale, I think those will be a little bit easier to sort of flesh out. And, um, you know, also think in terms of you're looking at the space of the players are going to be exploring and so you kind of have an idea of the rate at which they're going to be exploring and exposing that map because yeah. you're going to be throwing up you know the the natural uh, environment that's that's going to determine how fat how quickly they can they can move across it so maybe think in terms of instead of uh spreading out and trying to figure out everything that the turtle mountain contains 
maybe think in terms of your few, first few sessions mm-hmm. and what they're going to be encountering. Okay. Yeah. Just focus and drill down on those areas. Okay. Um, I'm not going to drill because that would hurt the turtle. Leave blank spaces. <laughs> uh, but keep an, keep an idea diary. Like, you know. Yeah. An idea. My idea. An, I, no. I, an I diary. No. I try to portmanteau everything and it's just not okay. <sighs> I've got a problem. Um, cool. So, uh, as we said in episode seven, the mm-hmm. last one, um, I'm going to be making these maps and uh, in, in a, a sort of readable fashion instead of my horrible cockatoo scratch. Uh, and putting them up on the website as along with the character sheets. So that are already up as of this recording. Yeah, probably they are. Um, I hope they are up as yes. of this recording. So. <laughs> no, they are. Uh, and they're, um, they're PDFs. You can get uh, character sheet PDFs from the Dungeons and Dragons website, by the way, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. in two different forms, just printable and fill outable, which is really nice. Yeah, it is. Shall we move on to reader questions? Yeah, let's do some reader oh. questions. I will read you from first. uh, The first question is from Lily Hislop. She says, God, how does grappling work? I'm never super sure. Uh, That, Lily, is an excellent question. Uh, Grappling is one of those things that every, I think every edition of D&D has done differently. um, And it tends to be one of the places where because the grappling rules. So we have a set of things that we imagine should be able to happen during a fight when you grapple with someone, but because of the way the rules are set up, that moment becomes very easily exploitable for a lot of players. So some of the most powerful uh, kind of character builds in third edition revolved around grappling or tripping. Um, both of which ha- render an opponent almost completely defenseless. In fifth edition, fourth edition. Oh, say it again. Sorry. Yeah, no. Um, fourth edition, I'm not as familiar with, so I can't speak to it. Fifth edition, the grappling rules have been made um, much more. They're 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 less overpowered. Um, th- interestingly, the thing that grappling is really for now is moving monsters around the terrain. So grappling is good for moving people around. It's not super great for doing damage. It's not super great for uh, restricting an opponent's ability to act, um, but it is pretty good for moving people around. Um, and what specifically, uh, when you're a DM, what are some mm-hmm. things that we can talk about for grappling i mean just in terms of like how the rules work um it's pretty simple a player decides to make a grapple a player or a an npc decides to make a grapple roll it's an athletics check with strength it's contested by the target's strength or dexterity uh, or athletics or acrobatics so you know the 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 defender has an advantage in that they get to choose their best of two stats Mm -hmm. um whereas the attacker is stuck with their strength um if you succeed if the attacker succeeds then the defender is now grappled which basically only means that it immobilizes them it drops their speed to zero okay there are a bunch of things that happen that other rules kind of ping off of if you're trying to attack someone whose speed is zero so it's worth other players like being conscious of like oh i'm attacking someone whose speed is zero 
and I have this thing that activates when that happens. But mostly all it does is it immobilizes that character. Okay. Um, and on subsequent turns, it allows the grappler to move them around. Okay. The grappler can still attack. I think the defender can still attack, which yeah. didn't used to be the case. Um, it's also worth noting that rules as written, grappling requires one free hand, which means that it is possible for one person to grapple two people, which is a little weird, but also kind of cool. <laughs> grapple <laughs> is one of those words that's just re removed we meaning yeah, once I hear it like it 10 times. Semantic satiation. Is it a type of apple or is it a type of grape? <laughs> of grape. I don't know. <laughs> it's somehow a type of grape with two half Nelsons. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so um, that's how grappling works. Okay. It can be fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm playing a character who has the tavern brawler um, feet, which I can make a, a grapple check for free nice. uh, after a melee attack. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's cool. Um, Good Red for throwing people off of cliffs. Yeah. Reddit user. Off bridges too. Mm -hmm. Reddit user Conrad500 asks, actually has two questions. One, which optional rules would you urge us to use or stay away from? He says, I personally do a variant flanking to give plus two to hit, like in 4E, and I've also added bloodied, but I'll never have variant encumbrance. Okay. Hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not very uh, uh, well versed in a lot of the variant rules apart from the, the feed system, which the feed system for mm -hmm. 5E as opposed to, you know, th uh, third Three edition five, yeah. or, or, or Pathfinder. Um really is a, a very heavily flavored new power set for the character. It always comes up with like sometimes a stat bonus in addition to an, uh, a suite of abilities that mm. allow the player to do interesting things and narratively interesting as well. That's one thing I love about the, the new feat system. So um, uh, feats can be taken in lieu of a normal stat increase that you get for four level fourth, increases at yeah. Yeah, every fourth level. Um and I found in the the characters I use uh, that that take them, they just kind of add an additional layer of interest and, and flavor to the character. Yeah. And when you're in a, a system at its early stages like 5e where there aren't a lot of splat books to add a lot of, you know, character options, um, it really makes, yeah, the feats are a really good place to start. Yeah. Um, and any that you would urge them to stay away from? Um I uh, will take exception with that uh, plus two flanking bonus, actually. <gasps> yeah. uh, Conrad 500, dense know, fighting words. Conrad 500. Uh, so in fifth edition, rules is written. Uh, the So in third edition had a huge third and three five. Flanking was a big deal. It was really important for rogues. People were constantly trying to figure right, out I who's remember. flanking with whom and when and where. Fifth edition has eased up on the flanking rules really specific, really like a lot yes mm -hmm. like you don't need to be on exactly the other side of your opponent to flank now if you're attacking someone and you have an ally within five feet of you in other words if you're back to back with someone and you're attacking you just take advantage on that attack roll yeah. hmm. like if you and or i'm sorry if you're a if your opponent has an ally of yours within five feet right so and uh, sneak attack damage is also right. based and, off of, and that's when you that's when you just also attacking someone damage. else. Uh, a friendly is uh, is attacking as well. So you don't have to be opposite opposite right. size anymore. As long as as long as you're attacking an opponent who one of your allies is in five feet of mm -hmm. you, you and your ally are both getting uh, uh, advantage on your attack rolls. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if Conrad five hundred is using that advantage rule. Um. 
I definitely wouldn't give advantage and a plus two bonus. Yeah. That's crazy pants. And because I, the one objection I would have to it is because uh, five the fifth edition's rule set really was an attempt to get away from having too many granular bonuses and modifiers. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they instituted a pretty elegant system, I believe, in the advantage and disadvantage system where it was no longer about, okay, I'm getting a plus one bonus for this and a plus two bonus for that. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of like stacking bonuses because you have these high target numbers to hit. Mm -hmm. They got rid of the math glut Mm -hmm. in fifth edition. You know, you'll have high characters, high level characters might not even have an AC higher than higher than 20. Mm -hmm. You'd never see that in a high level third edition or Pathfinder game. Yeah. Um, And so... Instituting a house rule that introduces a plus two bonus, I feel is both unnecessary and counter to the spirit of the rule set as uh, laid out in fifth edition. But Conrad 500, we still like you. Of yeah. course. We still think you're cool. Yes, do whatever you want to do. Yeah. Um, it's, it's I just, it's, it's not something cool, I would do. I would cool. do in my game. In, um, in general, though, default to that advantage rule instead of the plus two. Um, and their second question is, which 5e modules do you love and which older ones would you like to see converted to work with 5e? Well, I ran the ruins of or the mines of Fandelver. I thought that was a very fun. Is that the one that they that, do? That's the one that yeah. comes in the, the box set. That's the adventure that's the zone. thing that kicks off the adventures. Yeah, mines of Fandelver. Yeah, 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 and um, and it's sort of like the keep on the borderlands of mm-hmm. of fifth edition, mm-hmm. which is basically a first through third or up to first through fifth level uh, mm-hmm. sandboxy. You know, you have a region you can explore, and there's mm-hmm. caves and the keep and all this kind of stuff, and it's a great setting to for for beginning players having a nice little controlled territory you can explore. Hmm. Okay. Um. Um. So the mine, the, the yeah, the mines of Lost Mine of Fandelver, I I, I actually kind of really liked. Mm-hmm. I ran through my my son and and my wife through that. Aww. Yeah. That's uh, really nice. I've read Curse of Strahd and haven't played it, but uh. I like it. I loved the Ravenloft setting, and I'm really glad to see it back. And that's the fifth, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's in the fifth edition, mm. uh, a fifth edition um, uh, module. And in terms of uh, what modules, old classic modules, you'd like to see converted? I was never any good with old classic modules. Uh, I think I've only ever played the Lair of the Silver Dragon. Uh, see, I, uh, yeah, when I, I think, think about it, like, and you know, because uh, I'm 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 an old man. And, uh, You're not that old. How old are you? Like 33, 34? 40, 48. Really? Yeah. That's shocking. Well, I'll be 48 uh, and on 26th. Yeah. But anyway. Happy birthday. I think Happy you. birthday, yeah. Um, oh, that's like tomorrow. The classic Dungeons and Dragons module. And this was, I think, some of the true brilliance uh, and inventiveness of Dungeons and Dragons on display was the queen of the demon web pits. Mm-hmm. I can't honestly say that I know, like that I I've probably played some modules, but as a player, I honestly wasn't super aware of what they were. Or- well, I mean, mm-hmm. going back to uh, going back to the eighties when when I really came came to uh, uh, came of age in in gaming in particular, I mean, Q the Q series, which was the Queen of the Demon Web Pits, which was the the culmination of a adventure arc. That started in the G series, which was the these <laughs> these giant modules, each one featuring mm. a different giant. They were amazing, but this whole giant scenario wound up to be actually a plot being hatched by the Dark Elves, the Drow, which then led into the module, the journey into the Underdark, 
which then culminated in Queen of the Demon Web Pits, where the players were actually going to a hell, a a a a, a layer of the abyss, where the the uh, Drow Spider Goddess Lolth mm. uh, had her domain in a great fortress in the shape of a giant spider. And Loth, yeah. And and the thing is, you had this great big map of the demon web, which was mm-hmm. like this strange two dim- I mean, essentially, if you were on this path, um, these paths o- intersected and went to different strange little domains, but there was a an odd quirk of space of 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 space where uh you could kind of jump from one layer to another. Cause it was almost sort of like on a 2d plane and, and apparently like if you were to had true sight, which is, uh, allows you to see everything. Mm-hmm. If you had true sight on while you're walking the demon web pips, your demon uh, pits, your character would go immediately insane because, uh, because you were seeing, seeing it as it truly oh, I was. Like like, that. I like, comprehend it. Too I've many like, layers of reality. But it was just a, an amazing mind trip mm-hmm. of this, mm-hmm. this high level. I kind of want to like incorporate a little of that into turtle mountain. Like if you have, if you're in the cave and you have, true sight on or something that you're too aware of what the turtle is feeling as you're climbing around Mm -hmm. inside of it i don't know if that would be true sight but like kind of find some really common spells that my players might Uh, have detect thoughts yeah that's a really good idea totally overwhelmed detect thoughts is like a relatively low level spell players can get it pretty early pretty early and if they started to use it and they start picking up on the turtle thoughts yeah and they're like where is this coming from it's totally overwhelming and like like a background hum all the time totally cool um alice alliam writes how long is a reasonable amount of prep or follow-up per every hour of gameplay i.e is my dm making being a dm look harder or more intense than it needs to be also should gameplay stop when the pizza arrives in order for the dm to eat it while it's still hot or is eating a cold pizza a sacrifice the dm must make pizza politics were a very serious topic in a former campaign group um let's take these as two separate questions (laughs) uh First of all, let me say uh, how sorry I am to hear that pizza politics were such a divisive <laughs> part of your D&D experience. Um, in answer to your pizza question, uh, I actually go by a set of rules that are in a game called Nobilis, um, which has a very salutary view of the GM. And in fact, uh, in that game, the GM is known as the Hollyhock God. Um and uh, in the rules of Nobilis, it explicitly states that the Hollyhock God is not to pay for food because they've put so much time and effort into running the game uh, and that food should appear during game uh, as an offering to the Hollyhock God uh, during play. Hmm. So I definitely, I mean, I'm certainly one of those GMs that pours a ton of time into the games that I run. Uh, and it's nice when my, it's a, it's, it's a very thoughtful thing when my players are like oh yeah no we'll 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 get you. I kind um, of like, I, I mean every DM I've ever had has hosted mm. and kept the pieces of paper in order, which I will I will I will buy the freaking pizza. I mean while shared buying the pizza with the other players, it seems to me that the DM should get to eat not only the first slice but shouldn't pay. Like I I think if that they're that's hosting, fair. especially that's, I mean, there's yeah, so much yeah, work that goes into it. I mean sure. Um, I I. I definitely think the play should stop so everyone can eat. I'm a very jealous dungeon master, so I don't like people to have their attention divided. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Storytelling. So 
Always stop the game, so everyone. Yeah, and you don't want to get like grease all over your character. No. Yeah, take it. Yeah, take it. Take a little break. Yeah, Eat what that are we pizza. in seventh grade? Um, right. Yeah, <laughs> what are we savages? Uh, so, how long do you think is a reasonable amount of time? I think that she's asking. Also, um, this is also kind of two party. Is about how long do you spend per hour of gameplay mm-hmm. prepping? But also, how can you tell if your DM is just making it a little harder than it's supposed to be? Again, I mean, I. I pour a ton of time into my games. I really do. Um, you know, I think that over preparation is a real thing that GMs should avoid. Um, I also feel that when I run a game, I front load. So I do a ton of prep beforehand. Um, you know, my exalted games, a good, a good example. I probably did 20 ish hours of prep Mm. for that game wow before we even sat down like are you doing it like a couple hours here and there or did yeah, you just yeah, like yeah. sit down just, the whole day no, i mean it took me a month and a half to get everybody together to make characters mm-hmm. so you know i was writing background i was writing plot stuff i was like building worlds out you know during that time period and because i put so much because i front loaded so much sort of uh on the on the front end now you know, I prep a couple hours, uh, you know, before in the week before I'm going to have game, mm-hmm. I write up the, the write up from the last game and then that's it. And I don't have to worry about it. Cool. But, but you know, GM's poor. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a commitment. I'm interested, Chris. Um, yeah. cause I, I know Alexei's style really well and I lo- know you love like getting every little detail the world I that you can. Do. So Chris, I'm curious about you. Like how, how long do you think you spend per hour of gameplay which i think might be kind of a rough question well, it, it kind of it well it depends if it's, if it's something of my own invention or if, mm. if i'm running uh, like yeah, a published adventure like i'm right right now i'm running uh uh the strange eons adventure path for, for mm. pathfinder and i and i'm constantly reading the books the 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 uh the adventure path books between sessions not not simply to, to just to absorb what what the content but to internalize it to such a degree that I'm I'm experiencing it as though I'm reading a novel and I'm I'm imagining the scenes and I'm imagining the encounters cinematically in my head and I'm I'm drilling them into my head so that when it comes time to play I don't have to re- I don't have to consult the book really at all mm-hmm. the the le- the the if you're using from uh, if you're running a published scenario. The less you have to refer to the book, the better. Okay. And the only way you can do that is by constantly reading it and just absorbing it. Mm-hmm. And but also to so keep it in your bathroom. Yes, exactly. And and I mean that seriously. <laughs> I take those books into my bathroom. But um, but when it comes to my my like uh, my homebrew stuff, uh, I will keep a notebook. I will keep major names and major events. Um. But I tend to run a little loose. Uh, I think about what the players need to learn or what they need to experience or what they need to know. And I don't some, and a lot of times I just keep those as free floating concepts. And, and Mm. I don't say that like, I don't have it lodged in my head that this piece of information has to come from this character. Mm -hmm. I just think that players need to have this experience and need to learn this thing. Mm -hmm. If the players go off the beaten path I can typically roll with it and try to figure out some way that the information I need to get to them can get to them. If it's not through the character I had originally planned, mm-hmm. it's through something else. It's it's in another way. Try to keep it uh, loose and off the dome, mm-hmm. as it were. 
but mostly just kind of keeping it high level concepts. What do I need them to know? What mm-hmm. do I need them to experience? And if I have like a cool character in mind, it really has to be specifically like, Ooh, I got this neat, neat character I have in mind, but mm-hmm. I didn't make that character because I had to have that character mm-hmm. spout a line. Mm-hmm. I, I just thought of a cool character. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, I think this is kind of a good place to wrap up for 7.5. I think so. Yeah, I think but, so too. Um, Thank you everyone so much for posting your questions for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it really helps me especially know what challenges other people are facing. Um, and I'll share the knowledge. Um, we're going to be going to the Big Bad Con. Mm-hmm. You can go to bigbadcon.com. It's a uh, a gaming convention mm-hmm. um, in uh, Walnut Creek. In Walnut Creek, which is in 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 California near us. You're in the beautiful Bay Area. The beautiful where we Bay. Live. Yes. Um, so we're going to be going and we're going to be doing interviews and talking to people who are both running games and want to run games. Um, if you're going to be there, come up and say hi. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, and ask us questions or talk to us or whatever. We're very friendly. Hmm. Uh, there's not much of a smell. Um, and we're going to be really stoked to be out of my living room, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that is October 13th, the weekend of October yeah. 13th and that, 14th. That is the weekend of October 13th to 15th. Um, once again, you can find us at dmcast.net, on Twitter at cpdmcast, and on Reddit, r slash carpe diem. Uh, good luck building your games and worlds. Uh, what is on your docket for next game? What's your... What's your... What's <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, So Blindsided. Right. Well, this is sort of a, a, a joint question because... Uh, Alexa and I were talking about how I really need to buckle down and write the first, um, the first encounters and scenes um, yeah. for this game. And so what we're going to do is make a, a rough outline of that so we're not too rambly here on the podcast, on mic as it were. Um, and I'm going to then flush them out uh, in, the, in the next episode. Yeah, that'll Perfect. be fun. Thanks everyone for listening in. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you.